Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported podcast. To support the show, go to interestingtimespodcast.com. One of the biggest challenges with history is being comfortable with not knowing things. It is very, very tempting to look at a bunch of disparate evidence and fill in the gaps. It's very easy to look at a bunch of shards of evidence, some carvings, a few written records, and create a coherent narrative out of them. It's easy to fill in the gaps with drama, with anecdotes, with what you think is the truth. I do that. Lots of other people who have looked at history, they do that. It is a natural thing to do, but a very challenging thing to do when you are looking at, thinking about, and talking about history is to resist that urge. And today, I want to talk about something where a lot of people have played fill-in-the-gaps. But it's a topic where we have to say again and again how much we don't know. And that topic is the ancient Mesoamerican ballgame. A sport played by the Aztecs, by the Mayans, by the Olmecs, and by other ancient Mesoamerican civilizations. It is very probably the world's first ball game. It is not the first sport, mind you. Uh, based on depictions of what is likely images of competitive running in Paleolithic cave paintings, that's probably, well, running. Uh, wrestling is also a likely candidate for world's oldest sport, but in terms of a sport played with a ball, the Mesoamerican ball game is probably the very, very first. Uh, the ball itself was made of rubber. It varied in size, but it was usually about 10 or so inches in diameter, so pretty big and pretty beefy. And no one knows exactly how this thing was played, but based on several carvings depicting the ball game, also based on injuries of exhumed ball players, it seems that you weren't allowed to touch the ball with your hands. So a lot of the carvings and a lot of these stress injuries from dead ball players that archaeologists have exhumed seem to indicate that players wore protective gear on their hips and their knees and sometimes their elbows and forearms and you were allowed to bop and bounce the ball with your hips and knees and occasionally elbows and forearms. So it was kind of like soccer, in that you have to get this thing bouncing around the court, but no hands. It's not clear what the wind conditions of the game were, or how points were scored. And this is the first instance where it is very easy to play fill-in-the-gaps with the ancient Mesoamerican ball games, Because most ball courts, they feature something that is very indicative of a goal. Most ball courts feature a circular stone hoop several feet in the air, kind of like a basketball hoop that's been flipped on its side. It is very easy to look at these hoops and say, aha, that's it right there. That's the goal. The goal of the game, it's easy to think, was getting the ball through that hoop. However, the presence of the hoops does not preclude the possibility of other goals, other ways to score, other win conditions. Hitting the hoop or getting the ball through the hoop could very well have been a goal of the players. But just because the hoops could have been a goal, we should not assume that it was the only goal. Assuming the hoops are the only goal is kind of like looking at a modern football field and seeing the goalpost on either side and assuming that the goal was to get the ball through the goalpost. That is true. A goal of football is certainly to get the ball through the goalpost. However, there are other goals and ways to score, 
And that could have been the case very much with the ancient Mesoamerican ballgame. So we have no idea how exactly it was played, or how you won, or how you lost. We do know, though, that it was a big deal and that it was culturally important. Archaeologists have found lots of people that were buried with gaming equipment, with balls, and with protective gear. Also, carvings depicting the game are all over ancient Mesoamerican civilization, especially ancient Mayan civilization. But it goes back even further. A lot of the Olmec stone heads, you know, the Olmecs were very big on giant stone heads, are wearing what could possibly be leather helmets that they would have worn while playing the ball game. But we just don't know. Looking at the Olmec stone heads, looking at their headgear, and assuming that it's a ball game helmet, that's another area where it is easy to play fill in the gaps, but if we want to be intellectually responsible, we've got to resist doing that. There is, though, one big written account uh, that mentions the ball game, and that is the account of Mayan mythology called the Popol Vuh. The Popol Vuh, it is not a perfect or comprehensive source of Mayan mythology by any means. It comes to us via a Spanish friar, so it's very possible that some sections may be subject to misinterpretation or transcription error by the European who is writing this all down. And it is only really applicable to one certain subset of Mayans known as Dikiche, whose name I am almost certainly mispronouncing. And Dikiche, they come from what is now modern Guatemala, and what is true for Dikiche may not necessarily be true for the Mayans at large. But the Popol Vuh spends a lot of time on a pair of figures known as the Hero Twins, who, among other things in their adventures, played the Lords of the Underworld in a ball game. When I started planning this episode, I intended to read the section in the Popol Vuh uh, about them playing the Lords of the Underworld in a ball game, but it is fairly long, there's a lot of context and lead-up, and it's too big to quote here. But what I will say is that in the Popol Vuh, the Mayan underworld seems gnarly. The lords of the underworld have names that translate to things like Seven Death, Jaundice Demon, Flying Scab, Gathering Blood, and Skull Staff. The Mayan underworld also has rivers of blood, a river of pus, and the whole thing is full of bones, monsters, fire, cold, gross bodily fluids, and... The Popol Vuh makes the Mayan underworld sound like a really, really intense guar concert. It sounds totally awesome. Unfortunately, the twins, when they go to the underworld that sounds like a totally awesome pus-filled guar concert, they lose their ball game to the various underworld lords, and afterward, their father is beheaded. Then his head is used as a ball. Then the twins go and have to find him a replacement head, so he gets better. Mythology is weird, but this whole narrative of the twins going to the underworld and playing the various lords of the underworld to a game, and then their dad getting beheaded, it is a possible source of why the game is so often associated with human sacrifice. And most articles and mentions of this game take it as read that it was a game of death, that not only was this sport about winning, but about literally playing for your life. Supposedly, the losers didn't just lose the game, they lost their life. After losing, they were sacrificed. And one of the big reasons why I wanted to do this episode was to get to the bottom of whether that was true or not. Were the losers of the ball game actually killed after they lost? 
And one of the more outlandish ideas about the ball game is that it was not always played with a rubber ball, but with actual human heads, or with a human skull that was coated in rubber and then used as a ball. And while this is appealingly macabre, we don't have any evidence that that ever happened. But regarding the whole sacrifice thing, we don't know. This is the big thing where it's easy to play fill in the gaps. There is again no written record of how to play the game, what game day was like, what daily life was like when various folks showed up to the ball court cheering for or against their chosen teams. We don't have anything like an ancient ESPN for us to consult. So I cannot give you a definitive answer about how prominent a role sacrifice played in the Mesoamerican ball games. Based on carvings though, it seems like it did play some role. There are all kinds of carvings that depict what look to be ball players getting sacrificed. So, author and Mayanist Jeannie Crescenzo had this to say about the ball game, at least as it related to Mayan culture. Quote, There were probably two versions of the ball game. One was played as a sport and probably had some betting involved. The other variation was a religious reenactment of the story of the hero twins in the Popovu. In this case, there were probably only two players, and the winner and loser were predetermined. The loser was probably a captive or a criminal. He would have been in terrible physical condition from going a long time without food. Perhaps he was even drugged. His purpose was to make the other player look good, probably a war hero or a young prince. People would have come to this event to cheer on the hero and deride and humiliate the captive, meanwhile preserving the ancient story of the hero twins. Unquote. I find this hypothesis really, really appealing. That the ball game was a mix of sport and ritual. That mostly it was just sport. It was for fun. But every so often, it did get real. And human sacrifice was occasionally an element. So it wasn't always a constant life-or-death Hunger Gamesian competition to see who could not die. But sometimes it was. But as appealing as I find this hypothesis, I have no way to prove it. Also, Jeannie Crescenzo, the Mayanist whom I quoted, she has no way to prove it. She is also playing fill in the gaps. It's also totally possible that no one was ever sacrificed as a result of the ball game. It is possible that the Mayan carvings that we have depict events from mythology rather than real life. They are symbolic or hyperbolic as opposed to depicting anything that would have been in the daily lives of the people who played the Mesoamerican ball game. This also seems completely reasonable. Think about a lot of the imagery, a lot of the hyperbole, and a lot of the symbolism that we still associate with modern sports. The San Francisco Giants are not literal giants. The Toronto Raptors are not literal raptors. We have all sorts of vicious, violent imagery that we today project upon our games, and it is very possible that ancient peoples were doing the same. It's possible that there was all kinds of machismo and rhetoric and big, scary talk, but when it came to the game, it was, well, a game. So, again, it's very easy to look at a few scraps of historical evidence and fill in those gaps with conjecture. And that's especially true when that conjecture could possibly lead you to some dramatic conclusions. It's very easy for an imaginative history nerd like me to fill in the gaps with lurid visions of sex, death, blood, or debauchery. And there's a part of me that wants to paint you a bloody or horrific picture of desperate athletes fighting for their lives in a life-or-death game. I can't do that. 
Part of me wants to do that. Part of me wants to tell you all about the horrific sacrifice that awaited people who lost the game of their lives. Part of me wants to give you that horror movie. That worst sports movie ever. But I can't. So instead I'll say this. The next time you watch a soccer game, or a basketball game, or football or baseball, or any other game played with a ball, think of the ancient Mesoamericans. Think of the Aztecs, the Mayans, the Olmecs, who were playing ball games before anyone else was. Look at the athletes striving to work within the constraints of the artificial rules to accomplish a common goal, and know that they are drawing on a tradition of community and competition that goes back thousands and thousands of years, and know that it was the residents of modern-day Central America that were doing that before anyone else did. They were the ones to hit on the enduring power of sports, of competition, of teamwork, and of games. They were the ones to sit in the stands, to cheer, to boo, and to know the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat before anyone else in the world. We don't know much about their game, but we do know that much. This is a 100% listener-supported podcast. So go over to interestingtimespodcast.com, sign up for a monthly donation via Patreon. That is a voluntary subscription service where you can go support the creators that you enjoy. Hopefully that includes me. And thank you very much to the people who have already decided to contribute every month. You guys are awesome. Uh, Go to iTunes, give us a rating and review. Give us many stars and cool words. That would be neat of you. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. Also, the podcast is on Facebook, facebook.com slash interesting times with Joe Streckert. Go over there, click the like button. And I love knowing what you guys think. So let me know via iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, that sort of thing. Thank you very much for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye. (laughs) 